0: Welcome to The Spirit World, answering your questions on angels, demons, and how the spiritual and physical worlds interact. And now your hosts, Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly.
1: Well, hello there and welcome to The Spirit World. I am Debbie Giorgiani with co-host, religious demonologist, Adam Bly. And today's broadcast is pre-recorded, so no calls, please just sit back and listen and learn. We're going to dive right in. The title of this particular episode is Inside an Exorcism. Okay, Adam, we always begin with the St. Michael prayer.
2: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil, May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Okay, to all the Spirit World listeners and followers, please like us on Facebook at the Spirit World Podcast if you'd like to make any comments after this particular episode of The Spirit World. You can always email us. You can email us at TSW, that stands for the Spirit World at com. if you have any questions uh, concerning the topics we cover today. So, Adam, You know, it was interesting. You and I were talking as we were uh, preparing for the upcoming shows for uh, the rest of this year. We were discussing this idea that, you know, many folks don't even realize the kind of ministry that you're involved in on a weekly basis. And so, with that, we thought we would put together this broadcast so that our listeners understood in a in a more um behind the scenes way in an in depth way of what happens inside an exorcism, especially when you are part of the coaching process on a weekly basis, and I believe it's on Fridays of each week. So Adam, why don't we begin with that? Like, how did you get involved in that? What does it entail? How much time and effort do you have a a team around you? You know, give us kind of all the specifics.
2: Well, it's a bit of a long story about how I got involved, but essentially, um, God pulled me into this world coming out of studying psychology and studying the brain and a curiosity about whether any of these spiritual realities were real or just an artifact of the brain and then as i got pulled into this world and and saw some things that convinced me that it in fact was a true spiritual phenomena um, at that time this was about 15 years ago there was very few people involved in this there was very few exorcists in the country there's no one master list but you know maybe there was 20 um, maybe there was 30, probably closer to 20, and I knew some of the main people that were involved at that time. I had met through a case, and two, you know, two of those people were members of the International Association of Exorcists in Rome, which is a uh, an international association started by Father Amorth and some other priests. And uh, that led to coming over to a meeting in Rome and learning some there from the old guys in Rome who had been doing it 40 or 50 years. And they do conferences every two years there. So I went to a number of those. Uh, Then we decided to have a conference as early as 2006 here in the States because we saw there was so few exorcists. And the few that were out there usually were older. They were often isolated. They were often worn down. Uh, They didn't get much support. Um, Sometimes they had to keep their ministry secret. And so it was a really tough road for the few people that were involved. And so we saw a need to have some um, community and some ability to provide training. And uh, so even though, you know, I hadn't been at a lot, I helped organize the conferences. But then over the years, more and more people asked me to teach. And I had been at so many exorcisms in those early days when there was very few exorcists around um, that I knew enough to start teaching. And then that seemed to go well. And, and um, then the bishops have continued to ask me to teach in various dioceses. And now it's uh, become an international thing. I've, I've taught in a number of countries around the world.
1: So you're considered a coach to the uh, exorcists that are participating or leading the, the sessions, right?
2: Yeah, correct. So I I not only teach kind of in an academic way at conferences or in training days for priests, but really the only way to learn is is to do it. So uh, the best way to learn is to be mentored and coached in the actual situation. You know, you can read as much as you want, but it's not going to prepare you for a genuine possession and, and an exorcism going on. So I'm there to basically kind of you know, say, let's hit the pause button. Let me explain what just happened. We could go two different ways from this point moving forward. Um, you know, you need to shut that down and order it to stop doing that. I'll kind of give father tips. And, and of course, they're free to, to, to uh, do what they wish. They're in charge. But a lot of times, you know, they're looking for somebody who's been at hundreds or thousands of exorcisms to... You know give them some guidance um and then as they learn more you know they they're they're fully capable of of going at it on their own but then you know what happens inevitably we get new priests in from from neighboring dioceses that are sitting in you know with all the approvals and so i'll maybe be teaching them off to the side and say like well let me explain what you just saw there um and there's just wonderful lessons it I, I equate it to kind of learning therapy back when I was studying, becoming a therapist. Um, the only way to learn was to do it and sure. to have a mentor watch the videotape of that session and hit pause and say, let me tell you how you could have handled that better, or this was another way to approach that, or this is why that just happened.
1: Do most exorcists receive the information that you are imparting in a in a good way, or do they ever push back and say, you know, I don't really agree with this? I mean... Is it a team effort or what?
2: Yeah, it's a team effort. I there's we there's never been like internal conflict or anything like that. If somebody's coming for training, they want to learn, and generally, you know, the situation that you're in. I, I don't want to sound you know dramatic or scary about it, but it's pretty intense, and and it can be a, a little rattling when you, when you're new to it, and so people don't tend to have a lot of bravado about themselves. They, sure. they tend to be like, wow, I can't believe I'm seeing this. Um, help me understand what's happening here.
1: Right, right. So the case files that you have, um, on a weekly basis, those are possession cases that the work has already been done ahead of time to determine that it it is indeed a very rare, uh, thing that's occurring a possession, which we've, we covered that on the show and previous episodes about how the different levels of demonic activity possession is very, very rare. Um, but you have sat in or coached over a thousand exorcisms. Do I have that correct?
2: Yeah, somewhere North of a thousand. I've never kept a, a list, but looking back over the years and the average number per week, uh, yeah, it's north of a thousand.
1: Okay. And so this takes place in your diocese on Fridays. Correct me if I if I go along this line and I'm saying anything incorrect by proper the proper words or I'm not addressing it properly. Um, correct me because, you know, this is all new to us. Um, you know as people that are are being first time you know the first time we've really ever heard of this kind of stuff is obviously through Hollywood right because like Mm -hmm. you said the ministry itself was very secretive for many years and I want to ask you about that as well why was it so secretive so we want to talk about that so remember that question but I want to ask you so Fridays you have the cases that you're currently working on and I'm and you had discussed on an earlier episode of the spirit world that it's it comes in layers you know you know, it's not just like one and done you have to work at this case for a while to um you know make sure that all the demons are you know away from this this person and out of this person so my question is um is it something that you agree to grab uh, to to be assigned to that case is it assigned to you by your diocese how does that work like how did how does adam Bly get get the cases he gets
2: right so in in Yeah, and every diocese I'm aware of, it is a very small team of people. So there's often one exorcist, though there may be two. It's really best to have two so that people can take a break or, you know, um, if they're away that week, that kind of thing. Uh, It's a very small team. And the intake person, the person that does the interviews and maybe quarterbacks, um, having the person go and get a medical evaluation, psychiatric evaluation, that kind of thing, that's usually not the priest and that's kind of the the contact person for the people getting you know seeking help from the church the priest is is not handling that piece of it and that's the piece that i do here so i do the intakes i talk with people try to figure out you know in that intake interview you know whether it's a house case whether it's um an oppression case, whether it's a possession case. And then, you know, if we think it's possession, there's a lot more that has to be done. Of course, the church requires, as I mentioned, an outside evaluation by somebody licensed uh, medical or psychiatric, depending on the situation, you would maybe want both. Uh, Certainly you want to rule out mental illness. So yeah, I'm basically the place that all those calls come to in my diocese and in most dioceses. There's one person that kind of um, does that work of triaging and figuring out, okay, this one we can farm out to the parish and the parish priest can handle that because we're going to start with the house blessing and see how it goes from there. Versus, wow, this one sounds legit, uh, sounds spiritual. Let's bring this person in for a diagnostic prayer session. And so so basically i'm the person that's filtering out all of those cases
1: okay so um I, I think in just a moment we'll hear the music i don't hear the music right now so there we go now i hear the music right on cue see we're we're, we're right on top of it hold it right there adam um this is a pre-recorded broadcast inside an exorcism we um or i am asking the questions on behalf of you our spirit world listeners of adam Bly and his exorcism ministry that he does on a weekly basis we really want to know what happens inside an exorcism so please sit back listen and learn if you have any comments you can always email us at tsw at grnonline.com we'll be right back
3: Are you feeling lost in a sea of overwhelm? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with Stan Tall Today Coaching Minute. Many people find themselves challenged with overwhelm. Too many things to take care of, too many people to please, too much work to do. And in spite of their best efforts, they continue to fall behind with this overwhelm coming in like a flood. But that's not the abundant life that Jesus wants you to live. This is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute.
4: A while back, I had a nice little chat with some Jehovah Witness ladies, and they tried to justify their claim to be Christian by saying the early Christians didn't believe Jesus was God. Is this true? Well, of course not. Let me share a few examples. Take John 1.1, 1, 1, where John describes Jesus as the Word and writes the Word was God. Now, in order to get around this, the JWs translate the phrase as the Word was a God. But this is based on a misunderstanding of Greek grammar. Consider also Colossians 2.9, where St. Paul writes, For in him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In 1 Corinthians 8.6, Paul describes Jesus as the one through whom we exist. Isn't God the one ultimately responsible for the existence of things? So, contrary to what the JWs think, to be Christian, you must believe Jesus is God. I'm Carlo Brusard with a Ready Reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com.
0: The Spirit World continues with Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. If you have a question for the show. Call 877 757 9424 or email tsw at grnonline.com.
1: Hey, this is a pre recorded broadcast, so we do need you just to listen and really learn from religious demonologist Peritus in his field. Adam Bly, Paratus means uh, a church decreed expert, right, Adam?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a Latin word that just means expert.
1: Wow. You're an expert. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. I love that. Okay. So Adam, so you have these weekly um, ministry, this exorcism ministry sessions for the possessed uh, person and um, how many people are on the team uh, generally?
2: Well, in most places, as I said, there'd there be one exorcist, maybe two. Usually you're going to have at least two witnesses that are always there, and those are usually ladies that are going to be praying the rosary. And And by the way, because I know the thoughts come into somebody's mind out there, you, you can't just volunteer to do this because you want to go be at exorcisms. Uh, generally, people are choosing somebody they already know really well and they know has, you know, discretion and confidentiality and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there may be some priests there that are in training or just observing and praying in support. And then, unfortunately, um, There's a need in a lot of cases for somebody to be there to just protect the priest. And so, you know, in a physical way, um, demons are not friendly. And when they have a body with which to strike out, um, scratch, bite, kick, punch, uh, they will. Um, So, It's up to Jesus and sometimes they are restrained and sometimes they will even say uh, that Jesus has ordered them not to touch a particular priest, usually somebody who's older, Mm -hmm. but they will attack people that are physically healthy if they're allowed to. So a lot of times um, I'll be in that role and in the early years, you know, um, I don't want to be dramatic about it, but you know, it it can be pretty violent and it's not, um, you know, we're not hurting anybody. It's, it's just gently stopping them from hurting other people. And of course we always ask them ahead of time if they're okay with that. And and they always say, but of course, you know, I, I don't want my body hurting anybody.
1: Mm -hmm. Everybody on this team need to be in a state of grace.
2: Yeah. So, you know, spiritually you have to be really careful who's in the room at all. Um, they have to be squared away spiritually. If they're not in a state of grace, um, you know, this is something that Hollywood has played on sometimes, but it actually does happen. The demons know your unconfessed sins. They know your sin history. They know your life history. Mm-hmm. And so your secret sins, if they're unconfessed, often will be broadcast to the room um, in very kind of insulting and clever ways uh, to really distract everybody. So you need to be in a state of grace. Um, we've seen somebody get really, really messed up and they ended up being institutionalized. This was many years ago because they came for selfish reasons. They came because they wanted to see something
1: curiosity.
2: Yeah. They came out of curiosity with unconfessed mortal sin on them. So they were there for selfish reasons as opposed for charitable reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it seems like they, they were affected mentally and they had a breakdown uh, immediately.
1: Wow. So I'm trying to represent our listeners on on what we would all ask if we were sitting in the room and we said, Adam Bly is coming over for dinner. We can ask him any question, you know, and and so that's why we wanted to do this pre-recorded broadcast inside an exorcism. Again, if you have any comments after the show, please, or questions, we want to, um, you know, we we welcome those. We invite you to do that. Uh, We'd like to answer those on air at at our mailbag shows. So um, it's TSW at GRN online.com an easier way is facebook we're trying to grow the family there facebook at the spirit world podcast okay so please make sure you try to uh give us some feedback because we're going to be doing more of these pre-recorded broadcasts just so so you can get up to speed on what's happening so adam let's go back a little bit let's rewind a little bit you you made the comment that in the beginning of the early days when you started out in this work the, it, it was very secretive, why first of all, why was it so secretive, and now, how come it's so public?
2: Yeah, Deb, you're touching on on something really important. So the reason it's been secretive in different ages of the church um, and I, and I just um, i I have looked into this in terms of the history of of this ministry and the church down through the centuries. It's often been secretive because it is so prone to scandal. And it's so prone to distracting people from their healthy Christian spirituality. People tend to easily become enamored with this and too focused on it, too um, fearful, and, and focusing on fearing the devil as opposed to trusting Jesus. But also on a very practical level, the exorcist would be harassed. The exorcist would be, you know, people would be showing up on the doorstep demanding exorcisms, often the mentally ill who have self-diagnosed and said, well, I must be possessed because I'm hearing this voice and so I demand an exorcism. Um, You know, so there's that difficulty. And then sometimes uh, I think it has been scary to people. I think uh, sometimes even bishops, you know, they find the whole ministry, they want to keep it at arm's length. Other priests want to keep it at arm's length. Uh, Back in those early days, I knew guys who where it was very secretive, um, and then other guys where it was open, and other priests uh, sometimes either feared being around them or... um, made fun of the ministry and thought that it wasn't real. And so they ended up getting isolated that way. So it's pretty tough. If it's secretive and you're ordered to not tell anybody, um, you're a little bit isolated. And if you tell people, more than half the people are going to react negatively and stay away from you. And so you end up being isolated that way also. But What we're seeing now, 15 years later, Deb, is what you just touched on, which is a big, big concern of mine, and that is exorcism is now overexposed. We have too many exorcists, too many people, and, you know, I'm guilty of sharing some things, but the goal in what I'm sharing is to help people avoid the occult and avoid becoming a victim of this, not to tell war stories. But anyway, by being so exposed, I think there's... um, kind of an unhealthy fascination with the demonic and with exorcism. And the big problem is without a broad, solid foundation theologically uh, and spiritual preparation, it's hard to understand this ministry. And you can't really understand it by listening to stories from people uh, in a video or or telling a story. You can kind of understand it, but Um, You know, I liken it maybe to police work. A a police officer may tell you what it's like to interrogate somebody and try to describe it. But until you actually see a recording of interrogation or do it, you're not really going to understand it. And the bigger danger is people hear a soundbite about exorcism and they say, well, that's the absolute truth because somebody said it. And not everything is revealed uh, in scripture or definitively taught by the church. A lot of it is personal experience, and so we have to be careful about saying, "Well, an exorcist said it, therefore it's 100% must be true," because this is a this is a ministry that's fraught with danger in many levels, including deception. We know demons lie. We know Scripture tells us this. Jesus tells us the devil was a liar from the beginning. We know that. And we've also seen, if we if we've been in this ministry for a while, that the demons' lies are subtle and they can be woven over years to manipulate a person. Um, so we just want to be really careful and and not become too fixated on it. So in a sense, I'd say the pendulum has swung the other way, and, and it's perhaps um, it's perhaps talked about too much now.
1: Have you noticed because it's become so public? Have the um you know, the people watching these videos or learning about exorcisms, are they, are they more, you know, vigilant and, you know, careful about what they enter into by, by way of choices that they make in, you know, the occult and all sorts of things that they could be, it could be that portal for the demons to come in. Are they, have you noticed that there's a a heightened awareness or are people going, okay, this is too overwhelming. I, I, I don't, I don't even want to deal with it.
2: I've had some people tell me that, you know, somebody proposed maybe bringing ghost hunters in to try to to diagnose or cure, you know, what they thought was a haunting in their home. And they said, well, you know, I've I've seen enough videos. I knew not to do that. It would make it worse. Okay. I've heard comments okay. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what I've seen more, Deb, is people with mental illness who have watched a ton of videos and then they call the church and they say what they know Uh, is going to sound legit. So they start rattling off symptoms that they've heard in the videos and using very specific language that's, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of, kind of niche language for this ministry that you wouldn't know if, unless you had researched it. Um, And so eh, that's difficult because they've self-diagnosed, they want help badly, they're suffering, but I'll tell you, almost always in those cases, it is mental illness or a medical problem, and they're just trying to manipulate people into giving them what they want. They want the exorcism because they think it's going to cure their mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so I've actually seen more of that than I've seen uh, people telling me it was helpful to them.
1: So the mental illness is actually driving them to act the part that they are indeed possessed when actually it is a, a psychological or mental disorder.
2: Well, right? not, not so much act. They're not going to pretend to manifest a demon, but they're going to report symptoms that they know are right out of the book.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. They're so gonna, they'll do, they're going to, yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Is, is there an Adam Bly, a Peritus, an expert in every diocese?
2: Not really. No. Um, I suppose, well, I've not encountered there's, there's one other person who's really good and solid here in our diocese who happens to be here who had a lot of experience earlier in texas a long time ago Um, but it's pretty rare though um, i know one other person down in oklahoma uh, Mm -hmm. it's almost always priests this is not something you can go to school for there's no hr category for having a job doing this Um, you know people write me and they say i want to do what you do but but there is no entry point for doing it there there's no Mm -hmm. Formal degree. Um, it's normally done by priests and assistants that are helping them. But in terms of training priests, now that we've trained up so many hundreds of exorcists in the last 15 years, there's no need for somebody like me again, unless this ministry falls out of favor in the future centuries and, and then maybe somebody like me would be needed again. Um, but, you know, Jesus did something odd here. Uh, having a lay person become so exposed to this, and then moving the bishops to ask me to train, I'm happy to do it. It's a fulfilling life. Um, I, I'm happy to serve God, as long as you know God's asking me to work, I'll keep doing it. But there, there's not really going to be lay people like myself around.
1: Okay. Okay. So you're you're very rare. <laughs> That's a good thing for us I like that that's good it's very unique um, so you hear the music we'll hold it right there I want to talk to you about it because you're in the Diocese of Pittsburgh I want to ask you about what happens when a neighboring diocese asks you to consult on a case or somebody outside of the Catholic faith you know what it what is your responsibility what can you do what can't you do? Let's talk about that on the other side of the break Adam this is inside an exorcism this is your show the spirit world We are so happy to be with you each and every, saturday thank you so much for listening tell your friends about the spirit world remember facebook is the easiest way at the spirit world podcast when we come back more of this pre-recorded broadcast on inside an exorcism
3: Contact us at standhalltoday.com. This is a Messy Family Minute with Mike and Alicia Hernan If you're looking for a gift to give your spouse that's not fattening or expensive, listen in. This is one of the most precious things you have, but you can give it to them every day. Do you know what it is?
5: Your time. Do you have time every day where you and your spouse check in and connect together? If you don't, start brainstorming right now about when you could fit it in. Maybe when you both arrive home, you could take a few minutes to step in private just to ask how our day was. Maybe it's getting a few minutes earlier in the morning to make coffee together. It doesn't need to be long, but it does need to happen every day. If you and your spouse are ships passing in the night during a busy season of life, take at least five minutes alone to hug, talk, check in, and connect.
3: A successful marriage is made up of little things like this. Commit to having a daily connection with your spouse. It may turn out to be the most important gift you've ever given. To find out more about connecting with your spouse, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org.
0: Spirit World Continues with Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. If you have a question for the show, call 877 757 9424 or email tsw at grnonline.com.
1: Next Saturday, you can call us. This Saturday, it's a pre recorded broadcast, so you can just email us or go on Facebook. Okay, just want to make sure that you stay in touch with us. But thanks for staying with us on this uh, Inside and Exorcism. Okay. So Adam, back to um, your work in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. That's where all your cases are. That's where you serve um, your diocese. Now, what happens when a neighboring diocese comes to you or across the country, across the world, or somebody who's not Catholic, who runs a, a church somewhere? What can you do? What can't you do? What can you say? What can't you say? Kind of give us all the details
2: well the way the church is organized is by diocese and each diocese is under the authority of a particular bishop or archbishop so if somebody were to call me that lives in another diocese i refer them back to their diocese to contact the central office there i think it's really unwise and and really in a sense disrespectful to start um, judging and giving advice to a case that's far away in in another diocese, and that's for two reasons. One, they're not uh, your bishop's subject, meaning the person under your bishop. You want to respect the other bishop. And the other one's very practical, and that is, this kind of work really needs to be managed by people that live near that person. You know, I've had many cases over the years that ended up involving police, that ended up involving mental health teams going and evaluating somebody um you know there's been homicidal people there's been suicidal people if you start giving advice or asking questions and something goes awry on the other end of the phone and they're 300 miles away and you don't even know exactly where they live that could be a real problem because you can't coordinate the assistance that person might need they might be Um, mentally ill. They might have a medical problem that's escalating. You might say something, you know, that triggers a psychotic episode uh, or ask a question that triggers it. You just don't know. So you really need to be worked with locally. I don't think it's good to start digging into the case and giving advice when it's far, far away. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if another diocese, if their bishop asks us Mm-hmm. to work on a case or evaluate a case. It's up to our bishop, our our, um, our diocese, to approve that. So if both bishops approve it, then that's fine. You know, we'll work out how to evaluate or assist with that person. Um, sometimes a diocese doesn't have a team set up yet. Sometimes they don't have an exorcist, and they might ask for help for a short period of time until they can get that set up, that kind of thing.
1: Sure. What about non-Catholics, when you get inquiries about that?
2: yeah so you know every, everybody I know in this ministry tries to help anybody that asks the church for help mm-hmm. um it is a it is a big advantage to be baptized um, but it's not necessary. Jesus doesn't withhold assistance because somebody isn't baptized or isn't you know a catholic christian we We work with Protestants all the time we work with um we've worked with satanists we work with witches. We work with anybody who's suffering and is is looking to get out of that bondage that they found themselves in. Um, you know, will happily try to help.
1: Okay, good deal. I know what I was thinking about when I was when I asked you the question about the the person that is mentally um, compromised to some degree. When I when I had mentioned to you that you know are, could they be acting the part? What I meant by that is, and and I, I'd like you to ex- uh, kind of give your answer to this only because we're seeing a lot of Hollywood versions of exorcisms. Have you ever had a case where somebody actually pretended to be possessed?
2: Um, I think we've had people that have exaggerated and it just didn't look right and it wasn't adding up. I've, I've also funnily, I, I had one experience years ago where somebody called about a house case, wanting a priest to come out and do a house exorcism. And they described a scene out of a horror movie from the eighties that I, I happened to have seen back then. And they described it to a T uh, very specific to that film. And I said, well, you know, that, that sounds exactly like such and such from, from this film. And they ended the conversation pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. So we've had people that have, kind of been manipulative or making things up right usually 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 with the possession there are mentally ill people that really want help and demand it and say i've self-diagnosed i know i'm possessed i need an exorcism but when you dig into well what exactly are you experiencing what are your symptoms it doesn't Mm -hmm. add up um you know and as we mentioned before maybe they'll they'll say something they read in in a book um You know, but in terms of outright faking it, I think we would spot that pretty quickly because there are very specific things that go on and that you see in an exorcism that isn't in the movies, and people don't usually talk about the gory details, Mm -hmm. and so I think we would spot faking pretty quickly because there's a bunch of things that just are not out there in the public forum.
1: I was going to wait till the last segment to lead into those um, areas that you just mentioned. Are you able to, what, what are you able to share publicly about the, you know, kind of the creepy, gory, you know, confusing details or whatever that, that would make us, you know, go, wow, this is a lot more, you know, detailed than we ever get, we ever gave, you know, thought about. I know I have never seen the movie, the exorcist. I have never seen it. Um, so and I don't want to see it. I don't want to put those images in my head. Um but you know I've read a lot obviously working with you and then doing, you know, just in religious education because you obviously, you know, have to explain who what angels are and who demons are and everything. So, you know, you 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 come from that aspect of religious education, but is there anything you can share about the details that could I don't want to you know, scare anyone. I don't want to traumatize anyone, but I want, I want our listeners to really get the real raw truth so that they understand this is serious stuff. This isn't, this isn't something just to dabble in. This isn't something just to be curious about. This is really a serious aspect of, of what our church offers um, to free that possessed
2: person. Yeah. I mean, you know, my hesitation is always that this kind of question kind of glorifies the demons or causes too much fascination. But I also understand there's a lot of skeptical people, and that's natural and healthy to be skeptical if you've not had any experience with it. And, um, you know, I was skeptical in the beginning many years ago, too. So there's a certain balance you have to hit The 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 ugliest things, Deb, I I never repeat to anybody. I wouldn't even repeat to you uh, off the air talking because they would wound your mind to hear them. Um, It's just that bad. But, you know, there are things that cross the line beyond mental illness and just normal bad behavior. Um, You know, bones dislocating spontaneously on their own. I've seen wounds open up as if somebody's been cut where the yeah, well, I don't want to get into the details, but wounds open mm-hmm. up that are very mm-hmm. real, not just like a little red brush. I mean, like a, an actual um, laceration kind of thing in front of you where the person couldn't have done it to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've seen the shape of faces change as the muscles pull in different ways. Um, I've not seen levitation yet. I know a number of good friends who have. Um, and they, you know, people I trust and they, they don't share it publicly publicly. So that does rarely happen. Um, But the most disturbing things, Deb, are not the physical manifestations. Those are parlor tricks designed to rattle the people in the room and scare you. That's Mm -hmm. really all they are. The really disturbing stuff um, is when the demons reveal more of their true nature, uh, the depth to which they hate us, uh, the depth to which they're deceptive, the depth to which they hate themselves and each other, and they just wish us to be harmed in the most awful ways forever. Um, and, you know, their hatred of God, their hatred of their creator, all of it, uh, the blasphemous foul language. And, but, you know, again, the, the, the most chilling things are the, the subtle things and the quiet things when they reveal that they know us very well, mm-hmm. that they've been watching us our whole lives. Um, I'm not, you know, not to be scary, but they're kind of like bacteria. They've always been there you're just learning about them. You shouldn't freak out because bacteria is always there. It's on every doorknob you touch. Um, they're around. But when you interact with them and they make it clear and they make a reference to your childhood or a reference to, you know, some experience years ago, right. realizing that there's a spiritual reality around us, there's good and evil, there's, there's holy angels, there's fallen angels, there's, there's saints, there's God, you know, all of it is around us mm-hmm. and is aware of us. And we're not always aware of it. Those are, they can be edifying and it Mm -hmm. can grow your faith and it can spur you to a deeper relationship with Jesus. That's the good outcome. But I think for some people that that really rattles them. I've seen it happen. The first time they have an experience in an exorcism that crosses the line of, I can't explain that. The first time they realize it's really, really real. It's a, it's a shift in their worldview even if they had faith, even if they said, I believe as a Catholic, you know, I believe what I've been taught when they realize it for themselves. Oh my God, it's real. Yeah. That, that really rocks them.
1: That's what I meant by the confusing details of this, because you, you have said in previous episodes that, that Jesus is always in charge, right? He's, you know, always, always conducting everything. Right. And so why would Jesus allow, the people in the room to be so frightened and so scared by seeing a dislocated, you know, arm or blood spurting out or whatever. Um, I understand what you're saying about the parlor tricks, you know, obviously, those things are meant to rattle. And we see those on a daily basis, in some ways, you know, if you really look closely, there's some there's some pretty, you know, edgy things that that um, the demons tried to do to get you off the mark, right. But but with these really serious things that can really i guess traumatize people why would our lord allow that only to get us stronger to convince to what 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 is the reason do you know
2: yeah so i think there's a couple reasons first off things are allowed to test us uh, i believe that god allows a certain amount of trial and testing of our resolve of our commitment to the ministry of our commitment to doing the work that he's asked us to do and so there's a certain amount of that testing. And, and you know, we, we've seen that testing in lives of the saints where, you know, very saintly people. Uh, Jesus allows them to be tested. We think of Padre Pio being beaten bloody uh, by the demons, that kind of thing. Jesus is allowing that as a trial. But here's the critical thing, Deb. We're all still here. For all the times, you know, that I've been choked or, or thrown around or tackled to the floor or anything else, I've never had a broken bone. You know, I I had a, a pretty sore, frozen shoulder for a while after um, a really rough uh, 11 days when we were dealing with Satan in a case, um, the actual Satan, where the strength was pretty, pretty remarkable. But even there, Jesus limited what he could do. So the important thing is we're all still here and our bones aren't broken, you know, and we're still going. So he's limiting it even when the rough things are going on and when the scary things go on after a while it doesn't phase you anymore if you think of like a cop who's hard-boiled and has seen a lot they're not really phased by these ugly things anymore so after a while you're not phased by that you feel bad for the person and their body you know um and, and and by the way, when I mentioned the bones, they went back into place on their own spontaneously. A lot of times oh, wow. they, they, they heal unusually fast, mm-hmm. too, after mm-hmm. the session. So, um, wow. you know, it, it's a trial, mm-hmm. Deb. I, mm-hmm, I think in, mm-hmm. in the end it's a trial, but ultimately it brings about greater faith.
1: Sure, sure. Good deal. Okay, hold it right there. We're gonna we're gonna hit the pause button when we come back. Uh, it'll be the final segment, and then I'm gonna ask you the really difficult questions some that you may not be able to answer publicly. Uh, please stay with us for the final segment of this pre-recorded broadcast. Inside an exorcism on the spirit world.
0: The St. John Leadership Network presents Glance at the Gospel with Father Nathan Cromley.
5: In the Gospel for the 13th Sunday of Ordinary Time, we read Jesus say to his apostles, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake we will find it. These words are challenging. Why does Jesus say them? Does Jesus have something against the profound love that we can have for our parents or the intense love that we could have for our children? Does Jesus not want us to have a happy life by not having suffering and sorrow in it? Of course, Jesus wants to bless all that is truly loving. Of course, Jesus wants us to have happiness in this life. So then how do we interpret his words? This is important because many people don't follow Jesus with all their hearts because they're scared of losing something. We're afraid that God will take something away of the intensity of our relationships or of the things that make us happy in life. In fact, however, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, loving God doesn't take anything away from your life. Instead, loving God makes everything better. When you put God first, You allow every other love that you have to be attached to the infinite. Every imperfect love that you have to be attached to the perfect. You don't limit your love. You expand your love. And therefore, you don't limit your life. You expand your life. God redefines our happiness. He reminds us of those profound words of Mother Teresa. If you want joy, look for love. And so loving God will not take away our joy. Instead, it's the only thing that
0: guarantees it. For more information, go to www.saintjohnleadershipnetwork.org. The Spirit World continues with Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly. If you have a question for the show, call 877 877- or email tsw at grnonline.com
1: Thank you so much for staying with us for this final segment of The Spirit World and where we're where I am asking questions on behalf of you, the Spirit World listeners, on inside and exorcism. I'm asking Adam Bly, the religious demonologist, the co-host of the Spirit World, the Paratus in his exorcism ministry. That means expert, church-decreed expert. I just love that you are, Rarity, Adam. I just love that you are the co-host of the Spirit World. This is awesome for all of us because we we get to just, uh, learn so much from the work that you do on a weekly basis. Okay. So let's dive into, um, inside an exorcism and ask you questions that you may or may not be able to answer publicly. And that's okay. If you say I'll pass next question, no problem. Um, we, we, we understand that and we respect that. Um, so you, you had mentioned before that, uh, people's, need to be in a state of grace because the demons can reveal past sins, unconfessed sins, all sorts of things, details about the person's life that could be very, uh, you know, painful for them to experience in front of, you know, their peers. Cause they're your, your, it sounds like your team, the teams that you have uh, pretty much, you know, rely on each other, depend on each other, respect each other. And that would be very embarrassing. Um, let me ask you this question first, because we've we've gotten this a few times on the Spirit World, and so we might as well adre- address it now. This is a pre-recorded broadcast, folks. So no no calls next week. We'll take your calls here on the Spirit World. Um, what about if somebody is in a state of grace? Can they ever become possessed if they're in a state of grace to begin with?
2: Mm-hmm. So a person could have been possessed from the beginning of their life. And be in a state of grace, but still be possessed. So for instance, um I've seen a number of cases over the years where the parents consigned the baby as a you know, instead of baptizing them, did a ritual to consign them to the demons when they were born. And so, in a sense, they were possessed from the beginning. Now, what I what I've seen happen at least is that Jesus limits what the demons can do until the person can make their own free will choice when they're older and of the age of reason. But we've had the demons complain that they had to sit in the person waiting for the person to choose whether to sin um, and and make that choice for evil. Um, but the demon wasn't allowed to unfairly just possess and, and torture the person if they hadn't made any choice. But that person, um, you know, can be possessed and later go and get baptized. Baptism does not end possessions. Um, you know, we would It would be nice if it did, but we've had many people that were not Christian get baptized um, in the course of the ongoing exorcisms, not during an actual exorcism. I mean, you know, exorcisms go on for weeks, months, or years, weekly sessions. And so people have gotten baptized or entered the church, and the baptism does not end the possession. So you could end up you know being baptized and in a state of grace but also having the demon be present you know there's been some very lovely very pious sincerely christian people that are also suffering with possession and again i point to you know when we've had a number of saints that have undergone extraordinary demonic stuff and and they've been in a state of grace
1: wow don't let me forget before we close this show that I really want to talk about the Blessed Mother and how she is brought in to end these um the 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 sessions and I, I i want I want you to i talk about some of the some of the details of that that you've witnessed um so i I want to make sure we we have our listeners hear that part because that just I love the blessed mother and to think that she has such this powerful role to play in exorcisms it's pretty amazing um but let's go back to this for a moment um about this idea of this team that's that's brought together of, of they're trained. They are focused. They're not doing it out of curiosity. Um, they're doing it because they really have a a definite love, uh, for that, that person who is possessed. They want to free that person from the possession. They're, they're there to pray. They're there to witness, right? Um, so very important. Uh, talk about, can you share with us any shocking result that happened in an exorcism where, whereby like the, the exorcist himself, the priest, um, doing the solemn rite of exorcism, he maybe overstepped his bounds, you know, went a little bit out of the, the, the rule book and maybe asked too many questions, not enough Mm -hmm. questions. Could you share with us any surprising result of that?
2: Yeah, this is actually a pretty common problem. So one or two things can happen. The demon can just start volunteering information or trying to start a conversation with the priest. Um, because, you know, they're free to talk whenever, whenever they wish, basically. Um, the priest can order them to be silent and, and they will comply for a period of time that Jesus determines. Um, but often they're, they're talking quite a bit. So they're going to propose things they're going to volunteer information and if the priest um, kind of entertains that and enters into a dialogue with them it's extremely dangerous Uh, the other thing that can happen is a priest asking the demon questions outside of what is needed to help that person so here's the critical thing and this is so important the demons are only compelled by jesus to tell the truth if the priest is demanding the answer of the questions that are in the book. And those questions are, what's your name? When and how did you enter? And when is Jesus decreed that you're leaving? Outside of those three questions, you're you're asking something out of curiosity or you're allowing the demon to just give you this extraneous information about whatever, um, you know, how many demons are in hell or, um, you know, what they did in the Roman Empire back at the time, whatever it is. If it's not relevant to helping that person, you can't trust it. Now, unfortunately, being around these cunning, deceptive creatures that have been messing with people for millennia, uh, they're really good at putting out the hook and trying to reel you in and saying things that are going to entice your curiosity, feeding you stuff that sounds reasonable, but it's always got a little twist in it because they're always trying to bend your theology a little bit. So we want to be really cautious mm-hmm. about running with what a demon tells us, whether it volunteered it or we asked, unless it's who are you, when did you enter, and when are you leaving, you know, and how did you enter. Those are those are the charitable questions about helping that soul. If you step outside of that, the demon doesn't have to tell the truth. So he'll pretend to tell the truth, and he'll answer your question, but he's feeding you a line.
1: Mm-hmm wow okay we have less than two minutes please tell us about our amazing uh spiritual mom our blessed mother how she is called in to end these possessions i think it is absolutely incredible real quick adam
2: yeah so as the demons are cast out in the course of the the weekly exorcisms uh generally Jesus, the priest, the priest is saying the words, Jesus is casting them out, the priest is casting, you know, the church is casting them out. When the final one comes, it's the last day, the last demon, there's none left in there except that one, usually about eight or nine times out of ten, the person experiences literally seeing in the flesh Mary entering the room. That's their experience. We don't see her. She always says the same thing, at least so far in my life. She looks at them and she says, it's over. And in that moment, they feel this liberation to their core, and they they know with absolute certainty that they are free. Um, Wow.
1: Well, Adam, we're going to have to leave it there. This was an amazing pre-recorded broadcast on Inside and Exorcism. Thank you, Tim Mott, for being our producer today. And uh, we hope you got a lot out of it, folks. Please like us on Facebook at The Spirit World Podcast. Until next Saturday, have a beautiful and blessed week. We'll see you real soon.